1023 show. And obviously a Tuesday couldn't be a Tuesday without Andrew Drambina coming in and giving his tasty bites of information as he updates us on the local and global food news. And here he is. Good afternoon to you. Hello. Hi, Sadia. Hi. I'm all right. Thank you very much. Good to hear you. And it looks like you're out and about at the moment. I am. I'm reporting from a place that is thankfully open that serves um, coffee and lighter snacks. Sandwiches are on the menu, Mm. but I'll not mention the name of the place. Okay. Okay. But the sandwich is nice and you're enjoying your coffee. Yeah, a nice, a nice toasted panini. That's the only clue I'm going to give. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. So, yeah. how are things today now? I've, um, I've got some lovely pictures on Facebook that you sent me earlier on, ah. so people can go yeah. to my Facebook, Sadio Osmani, on Radio 3 RTHK, to have a look at those pictures. Right, thanks, Sadia. Yes, and those are really beautifully presented, aren't they? And I'm going mm. to kick off with this, actually. There's a new restaurant that's opened in Hong Kong that has a... Uh, a, a very key Asian ingredient at its core. Um, by looking at the two dishes that I've sent you, Sadia, I've sent Sadia two photos. It, I, can you tell if there's any common factor there? Oh, wait, let me. I've, I've, got, just... I've got one here. Let's have a look at this. Okay. Ooh. Oh, I hope the other well, one is. One is looking a very yeah. sort of a very sort of creamy noodle, but the noodles are obviously prominent in both. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's a good guess, actually, to be honest. The one which has noodles has a kind of a, it's, it looks like it's a white broth. Yes. But that, yeah, but that white broth is actually soya milk, oh. which is unusual. Mm. Um, and it's uh, a local, um, very, very highly awarded female chef. Her name is Vicky Lau, has launched with her head chef of a previous restaurant, um, a place which is focusing on soya beans in its dishes, various uh, versions of using soybean, whether it's, as we just mentioned, soya milk for a broth with noodles, mm-hmm. or if it's uh, made oh. in uh, locally produced small producers in Hong Kong, which is a nice touch, I think, um, using soya, soya bean as a main protein. It's not a vegetarian restaurant, and in the second photo that I've sent Sardia, yes, that, that like is chicken. a version of, uh, it's called, they're calling it Mapo, Mapo Dalfu of the day. Okay. And so that is the spicy Sichuanese style tofu that usually has um, chopped or minced mm. meat. Uh, often it's uh, pork or beef. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the, 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 the usual way of having it. However, the picture that I've sent Sardia, none of that everyday minced or chopped beef or, or pork for them at uh, the restaurant that I haven't mentioned its name yet. It's called Mora, M-O-R-A. Mm-hmm. And they are using in that dish lobster. They've just, they've just casually chopped up a lobster oh. there, Sadia. Oh, it's so a it's lobster. A, I thought it was chicken yeah. there. Oh, it looks lovely. Oh, I love yeah. lobster. Um, uh, that might, that, I, I, bet, I wonder if they have to go pretty carefully with the spice because Mapo Dofu from Sichuan originally it's quite spicy. is, mm. yeah, it, ha- it has the red peppercorns, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, which are kind of referred to probably be, I'll probably hit the wrong tone as I say this, but Ma, M-A, with uh, with what with a, with a tone that I probably won't get correct, and that means it's the tongue or mouth tingling sensation oh, that you get from oh. red peppers, as opposed to the spicy chili peppers, which are also in there. So I bet they have to go pretty easily, otherwise uh, you'll miss that sweet. Yeah, lobster it's taste. a very delicate taste with lobster, it isn't, isn't it? it? That's right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. want to have lobster in there and not be able to taste it. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So Vicky Lau then, she's the co-founder with uh, she she 
launched this a couple of months ago in a very difficult time, let's face it. But uh, her and her head chef, who worked with her for, for a few years in her other restaurant that she still runs, that's why she's got a head chef in this new one, uh, her old restaurant that she won two Michelin stars for and has been on the best 50, sorry, the best 100 restaurants of the world list is Tate uh, Dining Room, which is in, uh, in Soho. So she's a very accoladed chef. When she was in the, um, the Asia's 50 best restaurant list, she got pulled out one year, a few years ago, to be, um, they do something, I've discussed this, I don't think you and I have discussed it, I've discussed it a few times with Noreen, mm-hmm. about the fact that they have a, an award that comes out before the big list of, it's a hundred for every, there's a world's list, there's an Asia list, and there's a Latin American list. Mm-hmm. But the ones that get in the top 50 are considered, um, you know, the one that everyone trumpets, but okay. there is actually a list that extends to a hundred. Before they present that list annually, they always announce a top female chef in the list of those three places, the world, Latin America, and Asia. And, I mean, I've often asked the question, um, is that a good thing? Yes, we know that, like many other industries, the food industry, the restaurant industry, is not as equally represented by women as men. Mm-hmm. But um, should would it be, I wonder... Although it's brilliant for her and she was very pleased when she won it. I met her and interviewed her a few years ago when she got it. But would it be to be on an equal footing, judged in the same way for both genders? Because what's, what, are the, what are the awards for? It's for what's served on the plate. Yes. It's, uh, you know, so it's, that, that's just my point there. Any thoughts yeah. on that, Fabio? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to you are looking at the food that's being served you're not choosing somebody purely because you want to get a, a you know tick the box and get a woman mm. in there so at yeah. the end of the day it does come down to the taste of the food because it doesn't matter who cooks it it's just how good the food is exactly that's what mm. i think too mm. yeah well so vicky lau has launched this at a, at a dicey time with head chef uh, percy ho who was the person working with her before he comes from an interesting family line, actually. His dad was a prominent dim sum chef. Mm. He's retired now, but he learned from his dad how to make dim sum dumplings and other noodle and rice dishes that were sold in the restaurant his father worked in uh, that his dad had learned over about 30 years when uh, Percy was a 10-year-old boy and started... <laughs> yeah, he started actually... He was allowed to start cooking at home, but... Uh, to create those renditions and he realized a few years after that that he then wanted to become a chef for his career that's very early to realize Mm. but often often that's how it starts i suppose that's right that interest is generated from a very young age isn't it definitely definitely yeah so mora which is the name of the restaurant in english is based on a chinese character which doesn't have the a at the end which is pronounced more which means texture in chinese and cantonese and the location of the restaurant is also in an area of kind of old Shenghuan amongst the antique shops. Mm. And they liked to be around that, that atmospheric area. And they've given the interior of the restaurant a bit of a retro look. The dishes that I sent to you, Sardia, are extremely modern looking, aren't they? Mm. Mm. So there's nothing too kind of old school looking about that but they've actually given a retro 1930s look to the interior i didn't send you a picture of that but they did even go as far as designing their own lamps which are hanging from the ceiling interesting place 
Uh, yeah, they, they've, they've designed the labs to be covered in something which might look at first glance like parchment, but it's actually meant to be like dried tofu skin. You know, the wrappings that are used for wraps and some yes. Cantonese food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's very creative, I think, isn't it? So they're really wanting to have an element of soya bean, whether it's soft tofu, the skin tofu, or soya milk in their savoury dishes. So it's not the first time that did you Vicky try Lau. it? Did you try it? No, I really oh, want to ask that, you. I, So I, I read about it just over the last week, and I will, I will try it and I'll let you know, mm. because I, I'm really liking the sound of this. It looks so, beautiful. So I, I haven't yet, yeah. But, but I have tried her food in the Tate um, dining room uh, a couple of times, and that in that restaurant, the Tate dining room, it is really what some people might consider a special occasion restaurant because it's tasting menus of small dishes mm. and this new restaurant is a bit more accessible price wise and its dishes are not um uh, i'm not aware of them doing a tasting uh, menu but she did previously um, venture into the world of tofu using local hong kong producers and so she just thought that there was quite a bit of interest her previous restaurant was french mixed with chinese cuisine so it's fusion that she devised with her and her chefs and she's taken just the element of tofu further because she once did a tasting menu called an ode to tofu a few years ago. <laughs> that and, uh, and it went down so well wow. that even when she stopped doing that menu, people, people. were still asking <laughs> either for dishes. And so she had to keep it on. It, it made her realise, and we've spoken about this before, and we all know probably that meatless meals, whether you are yeah. um, a, a carnivore or not, are an option that people enjoy more and more to right. not have meat, even if they do eat it on some day. So um, the, uh, what she's setting up right now as we speak, though, is the process of creating a small production facility to make their own in-house tofu so they can do all of these different renditions from the firm stuff that's pan-fried to the, uh, to the milk, to the skin and all the rest of it. So they're in the process of that. But until then, they're patronising some of the very small-scale producers. So that's called Mora. And if anyone okay. wants to see what, Mora, what the Mora of these dishes look like, you can go to... <laughs> um, sorry, a bit of a 21 there. <laughs> uh, M-O-R-A, that's mora.com.hk. Okay. Sounds interesting, um, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so next, across the board we go for my next report, mm-hmm. where over 8,000 bottles of... <sighs> fake high-end Aussie Penfold label wine was recently discovered, leading to a big bust of a mega fake wine operation. Wow. Yeah. We've got the and photograph that, on Facebook too. You can have a look okay. at that. Okay. Yeah, that looks like um, it looks like a bit of a dodgy operation there, doesn't it? You've got a gas <laughs> cylinder in the middle. I, I'm not sure. It's probably part it of the... It looks like somebody's uh, living you know, room. Yeah, it is. It, look, it, it, it does look like a, a flat yeah. with no furniture, but just a, a, lots of crates of wine, wow. a gas cylinder that's probably boiling up stuff that looks like wine and is then bottled with, uh, with a dodgy label. And that's what these people have been busted for. And it's interesting because there is a big love for Penfolds. It's, it's, it's regarded at the top of its range, some of the best wines from uh, that winery is one of the oldest wineries in Australia. It's in South Australia, just outside oh, of Adelaide. Gosh. And uh, I have been to that place. That um, might not have been to Vicky Lau's restaurant in Hong Kong, but I've been to Penfold's Winery. It's a beautiful, <laughs> right. uh, two, almost 200-year-old winery. Wow. And um, they 
um, they are very popular despite the fact that um, the Chinese government slapped on um, a lot of tax on wine and some other Australian food products um, uh, in a bit of a kind of uh, um, reciprocal action for, for things they didn't like that were said in, uh, in Australian uh, government mm-hmm. um, announcements about certain things that are going on in China. And um, so the, um, the price is very high for tenfold, more so than ever, because of very high tariffs at the moment. And therefore, there's been more counterfeiting of Australian wine uh, and of this label in particular over the last year or so since those tariffs have affected the retail price. Mm. So it was reported by someone who bought a bottle online for about the equivalent of 800 Hong Kong dollars. Wow. And, and the normal, well, the normal retail price in China with the current tax was 1,200 per oh, bottle. Gosh. And so the person thought they were getting a bargain, but when they tasted it, you could kind of <laughs> almost see a cartoon of them spraying it across the room oh, um, no. in your mind's eye. And, um, and it's because of that that they reported it to the police uh, as um, they, because they thought that they'd been just, you know, uh, caught. been ripped off, know. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. So they, uh, uh, after a little investigation, and oh. this was in the eastern Jiangsu province of China, the police um, tracked back the supplier um, to um, to this flat that uh, Saudi and I were describing, mm. which had a mega uh, production of um, uh, where they seized uh, over 36 million bo- uh, How- in Hong Kong dollars wow. uh, value of wine from that dingy flat. Yeah, I'm just going to say, how do you manage to do that well, in a flat? That it itself is creativity, isn't it? I mean. It is, it is. I mean, I mean, I don't think we're seeing the whole story. We're seeing one portion of a, of yeah, a room there, yeah. which looks a bit of a mess, but uh, that was part of the seizure. See, boxes and, and boxes. Um, the, the police went to the Penfold team in, in China to check, the, to make sure that they were correct, that the wines that they seized were not real mm-hmm. uh that was that was clarified and they then managed to find a, a very alarming amount of documents that sold that had shown that the, the wine sold over the last few years has uh, come to 100 oh. million hong kong dollars equivalent in, wow. uh, in so it's been so, going on for a while then hasn't it my goodness yeah it has been yeah six people were on site actually you know doing the bottling and cutting up the fake labels etc there were sixty-four thousand items of logo and trademark uh bits of bits of paper packaging that that, that were bearing the uh the, the winery's name so that's um that's interesting it's mm. uh just something which is sometimes comes up at auction every now and then it's somehow they get through the the, the 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 labels can be so fooling to some people but i guess if you don't get anything near the right taste then you're going to kind mm. of uh, raise suspicion i wonder imagine. i wonder how many people when they do buy it because it's such an expensive one that they keep it for some time they don't discover that it's actually a, oh, a rubbish yeah. wine for for some time and then it's too late to do anything about it Absolutely, especially if people are serious wine collectors, yeah, or yeah. you know, for the for the sort of eight hundred to thousand plus per sure. bottle, people might wait for a special occasion, yeah. like you say, wait for a while, or even move to another country or something, mm. and uh, you know, take their collection with them. Um, yeah. So, next topic mm-hmm. we've spoken about um, uh, before about the various effects on on food prices, but I'm afraid reports keep coming out every so often with giving us new data 
Uh, we've, we've talked about the pandemic effects in Hong Kong previously. We've dipped into the world prices for everything used to make food going up in various aspects, food oils, you name it. We've spoken about different things. So here is a, I'm afraid, not so cheery report on the current, on how current food commodities are now directly affecting global inflation figures. Why is it Why is it that food prices are being pushed up and then become part of everyday costs and pushing up inflation? So we know some of the reasons, as I say already, but Bloomberg came out with a report just a few days ago which has the latest on this global phenomenon because already we, we know for the reasons that I've just kind of skimmed over that food costs were high, but... Uh, and we know also that the pandemic for two years has clogged up supply chains, making things difficult for transportation, making delays and making things scarce. Um, but, the, uh, of course, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine has taken things to another level, sending uh, markets soaring. We, we know about fuel, probably, but I didn't really know about fertiliser, because mm. Russia, along with Canada, is one of the world's top producers of farming fertilizer they make something called potash which is a um which is burned wood from trees from tree and plant offcuts so organic waste that is burned and then becomes the foundation of uh fertilizer that's used for agricultural farming so that has that has been uh uh production of that stopped obviously while this whole Russia-Ukraine business is going on, and so have um, products, uh, you know, sanctions have happened on Russia, so they're not getting through for stuff that had already been made before the, uh, the war situation over there. But it's not all about that. It's also, um, uh, it's also it, uh, the other parts of the world that don't rely on, on Russia for anything have their own difficulties. Things that we've mentioned, too, in the past have been that in the last year or so, we had droughts in some of the producers of grains in South America and Southeast Asia. So those are taking their toll. In the, the, It took a while. When I mentioned it to you, it was the failing harvest, it was the drought, yes, but now yes. these are seeped, yeah, these have now started seeping into the actual distribution and the, um, the food-making industry where people are eating pre-made products like, um, like bread, uh, mills, flour, and even more ready-made meals like cereals, breakfast cereals, and other other types of uh, biscuits and crackers and all of these kind of products which are using both cooking oil and grain, which has gone up a lot. Um, it, it even affects some small producers that we haven't heard about in these reports before. For example, in Australia's far western uh, region where there's a lot of fruit growing, um, it's a bit remote, and this takes its toll when global um, fuel prices go up, and labour has gone up over there as well because the some of the people who were able to do manual farm work have been struck, obviously by COVID, and so there are fruit growers, orchards in Western Australia going out of business at the moment, um, as as the world oil. Uh, reacts to what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine. The the uh, the price per barrel for futures of oil has gone past 100 US dollars, which means that farmers who 
rely on heavy machinery for agricultural farming that's harvesting and uh, you know planting seeds mm-hmm. or transporting livestock and uh, and uh, delivering their feed makes it um, uh, a very a very very difficult task indeed prices have gone up but they haven't been passed on to farmers it's just these baseline commodities which are which are doing it i'm aware um, that we have touched on this before but i just thought i'd mention it in india where the economy a staggering 60 percent of its 1.4 billion people depend either directly or indirectly on farming because some of it is food processing for their livelihood for their to actually make their income 60 mm. percent yeah that's, that's, that's amazing that's, isn't it that that's is, huge isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually some of that farming sorry in that figure it's mostly all foodstuffs but cotton is thrown into that mix as well so yeah. that that would that would uh, describe why it's so so high um i won't I don't think I'll go on because we've heard these sort of things before and mm. it's not a very chirpy ending for our segment. But it just uh, but shows it's a real you one. that, yeah, there's a um, direct effect on everything, isn't there? Whatever's happening in the world is going to affect us yeah. on our dinner plate, frankly, you know. Yeah, I'm else. sure we've all noticed it here. Have you, Yes. Prices around. Yeah. yeah, I haven't kind of been out and about that much, but I think generally prices have gone up. You can see that over time. When you look back yeah. at some of the prices you were paying last year, you can mm. see that things have gone up. But then, you know, I think sometimes it's been done artificially because people just think it's a good opportunity to do it. But, I, I uh, think, yeah, I think so as well. Sad. I mean, it does seem that things have gone up. You'd expect there to be a bit of uh, bit of stock for a while, not mm. to be going up as frequently as they do. But mm. uh, yeah, a bit of opportunism, I'm sure. But let's just well, hope things uh, are calming on down that, now. Uh, on that note of opportunism... Um, I, I, I guess that's, that's all of my reports for today. Right, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. I look forward to uh, talking to you again next week, or actually on Thursday, and you can go Indeed. and enjoy your coffee and your sandwich now. All right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you. Darling. All right, then. Have Thanks very much. All right. See you then. Bye-bye.